to John Swinfield's Big Business Podcast. And now, let me introduce your host, journalist and writer, John Swinfield. Hello, I'm John Swinfield. Welcome to Big Business. I'm a journalist and television producer, and I've spent much of my life writing and making films about business bosses. I hope you find this pod gossipy, irreverent, informative, and even fun. If you like the feed, please don't forget to click the subscriber button. Big Business is on every week at 11am GMT on Wednesdays. Horse racing is a global business which generates hundreds of billions of dollars, its tentacles stretching across Japan, China, Hong Kong, America, Australia, and the United Kingdom. It employs tens of thousands, and it's one of those industries with armies of supporters and other vociferous battalions, adamant that gambling is a pernicious, hideous disease that spreads misery and mayhem for untold millions across the world. Gambling and horses are inextricably linked. On the gambling side are the likes of Denny's Coates, the boss of Bet365, a phenomenally successful internet betting operation. It was reported in 2021 that her salary was, wait for it, £421 million. Nice work if you can get it. She's one of the highest paid executives, if not the highest paid, in UK corporate history. Coates founded her betting website 20 years ago in Stoke-on-Trent, in Staffordshire, where the mobile phone billionaire John Cordwell who I profiled in an earlier episode of this Big Business podcast, built his phones-for-you empire. Coates and Cordwell are major philanthropists, but they also have plenty of critics, some of it fired by little more than jealousy. When somebody makes a fortune, envy is never far away. But when you make it like Coates, through gambling, the arguments have a potency that can be hard to challenge. The main subject of this episode is somebody who died in 2004, Robert Sankster, whose influence still lingers large in horsey circles. At one time, he was the undisputed monarch of horse racing, that which over the centuries has become known as the sport of kings. Let me tell you a bit about Sankster. He was a reticent figure, Modest, stocky, and he was droll, with a quiet, wry humour. He was a good golfer, and as a younger man, he'd been a useful boxer. He always liked the ladies, and the ladies always liked him. He was married three times. Christine was first into the winner's enclosure, Susan came next, and another Susan cantered in to take third place. His first wife, Christine Street, was a beautiful Manchester model, impeccably mannered and highly educated at a leading boarding school and a Swiss finishing school. They had four children, divorcing after 18 years. His second marriage was to the vivacious socialite, the Australian Susan Peacock, previously the wife of Andrew Peacock, a foremost Australian politician. That marriage 
lasted seven years. His third marriage was to the equally becoming Susan Lilly, heiress to the Lillian Skinner shoe fortune. They had two children and divorced after 15 years. Robert set up an all-conquering stud with the businessman and breeding expert John Magnier and the legendary Vincent O'Brien, the Irishman regarded by many as the world's finest trainer. I made an ITV half-hour film about Sangster and the way the three of them had applied big business thinking and techniques to an operation which had transformed the bloodstock industry and which electrified the Keeneland sales in Lexington, Kentucky, where they would buy American yearlings. Robert and Susan, his second wife, lived on the tax-friendly Isle of Man. Their home was called the Nunnery, which it had once been. It was a magnificently refurbished mansion. They were a charming and social pair, with an international circle of friends across the racing fraternity. Racing's glamorous jet-set image has always attracted journalists and the media. Christopher Wilson, a.k.a. William Hickey, of the Daily Express gossip column, and his great rival, Nigel Dempster, of the Daily Mail, once had an entertaining fracas at the Derby, one of racing's most upmarket and important events. Christopher told me, each national newspaper had its own telephone box in the Epsom grandstand, except, for some reason, my paper, the Daily Express. It was traditional for gossip columnists to cover the derby, and at about 4pm we'd all file our copy before retiring to the bar. I commandeered the Daily Mail phone, but Dempster appeared out of nowhere while I was filing, and a fight ensued. It would be fair to say that in the course of our duties on that day, neither of us had felt the need to go entirely unrefreshed. Christopher went on, Dempster was extremely angry, and the fight burst through the doors into the press room, where other reporters were typing out their stories. Lord Oaksey, who was then on the Daily Telegraph, jumped onto a table shouting, Six to four Dempster, evens on Wilson, and started taking money. Finally, we parted, and I went out into the hallway. At that moment, I recall the advice of an old journalistic mentor, who had once advised me, if you've got the opposition on a story, make sure that you file first, then vandalise the phone. So I disabled the Daily Mail phone by ripping out the wires, but not before being spotted by Dempster. He was enraged, of course, and he chased after me, threatening to kill me. I had to make my escape by helicopter. Chris later became a royal editor, and today writes novels under the pseudonym T.P. Fielden. The aristocrat Lord Oaksey, who Chris mentioned there, was a former amateur jockey and racing journalist. His full handle 
was John Geoffrey Tristram Lawrence, the fourth Baron Trevethin and the second Baron Oaksey. Robert Sangster was the son of Vernon Sangster, the founder of Vernon's football pools. His Vernon's industries ran at many businesses, but his pools company was the real cash machine. At one time, football pools were one of the main forms of gambling. Robert took over from his father, becoming its managing director. With shrewd timing, he sold it in 1988 to Ladbrokes for £90 million, just as Britain's National Lottery was starting and which would deliver a near-lethal blow to the pool's business. Susan was a high-spirited Melbourne socialite, the daughter of a leading Australian politician. She hit the headlines for dancing on tables at parties and caused tut-tutting down under by daring to advertise bedsheets on TV, a move judged tacky and embarrassing to her politician husband. She owned one of my favourite paintings, The Outlaw and Bushranger, one of the Ned Kelly series by Australia's renowned modernist, Sir Sidney Nolan. After Robert, Susan became Lady Renouf, marrying Sir Frank Renouf, a New Zealand financier. Robert Sangster's prowess in racing was astonishing. To an outsider, the bloodstock business can look glitzy, but seen from the inside rail, it's overhyped, ruthlessly contested, and riskier than most other industries, with millions of pounds and dollars at stake and never really any guarantee of success. Robert became addicted to the business after friends introduced him to racing and a horse called Chalk Stream won the Liverpool Autumn Cup at Aintree. That day still shines in my mind, he told me, as we drank a glass of champagne at the nunnery. Susan smiled, saying that once you were hooked on horses, there was no turning back. She didn't mean gambling, but the entire equestrian business. They drank a lot of bubbly in their time. Sometimes thoughtful and reserved, but always eminently sociable, Robert was a magnet for women, dating such well-known names as the American model Jerry Hall, Mick Jagger's ex-wife. Inheritors will commonly squander their empires but Robert turned the £90 million from the sale of Vernon's into hundreds of millions. Winning races was not sufficient. He saw breeding and racing as a deeply serious business, which demanded all the commitment and discipline which applied to more conventional industries. It's not an exaggeration to say that he changed the face of racing. With the gifted O'Brien and Magnier, who was O'Brien's son-in-law, Sangster set up the famed Coolmore Stud in Tipperary, one of the most sophisticated bloodstock operations in the world, with farms in Australia and Kentucky and interests in France and New Zealand. O'Brien had an unerring talent for spotting yearlings which made top dollar when they were subsequently sold as stallions at auction. Most businesses have to contend with risk factors, 
But breeding, genetics, DNA were and still are among the great unknowns in which the trio had to immerse themselves. Their triumphs at racetracks around the world and at sales such as those held at Newmarket, the home of British racing, swept all before them. The incomparable Lester Piggott was one of their jockeys. Sangster won the derby twice with the Minstrel in 1977 and Golden Fleece in 1982. He won scores of major races, from the 1,000 and 2,000 guineas to the prestigious Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Sangster never showed off or boasted. When I said to him, I'm told you were a good boxer, Robert. He simply smiled and said, well, not really, not too bad. It was the same when I asked him about his astonishing success in racing and the wider bloodstock business. Oh, we keep trying, you know, he said. You have to do that. Susan, vivacious, bursting with fun and always impeccably turned out, took his arm. She turned to me and said, in her best Aussie voice, Well, that's Robert. He's always been such a modest little copper. Well, I've reached the finish line for this first series of Big Business. I'll be back soon with a second run of stories and legends from the world of business and money. For now, though, this is me, John Swinfield, wishing you well and signing off. You've been listening to Big Business. This is John Swinfield signing off. Don't forget to click on subscribe. I'm on every Wednesday at 11am GMT.